your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be starting the final chapter tonight, but we will be reading verses 18 of chapter 3 to verse 1 of chapter 4 to get the context. The name of the message is Christ, the one master. Christ, the one master. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward and inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven. <clears throat> now a preacher of old commented about this verse being in chapter 4 rather than 3. He said this tonight, he said that the, the, this verse belongs to the preceding chapter. It has no connection with, with that which follows. And we have to remember this preacher went on to say this, I sometimes think that the good man who chopped the Bible into chapters, for it is not in chapters in the original. The original Greek, there are letters. There's no chapter breaks. Must have hoped that we should not read this message to the masters as he had put it in another chapter. So it naturally fits into, from, from 18 to 4.1 is one section. Because we see Paul dealing with the, with the servants in verse 22, and now he's going to deal with the masters. And so it's all connected that way. And the, the preacher went on, but I never like to read about the servants without also reading about the masters. There is six for one and half a dozen for the other. And as usual, it is in the scriptures, they are balanced duties. So again, we see the servants being... being um, spoken to, and then we see the masters being spoken to as well. If there is an exhortation to the children, there is generally one to the parents close by, and if there is a word to the wives, there is one for the husbands too. So let us read that verse, Masters, give your, unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So let's look at a quick review. Last week we looked at verse 25, and we see there's a tie-in again for verse 1 of chapter 4 with verses 18 to 25, which we read the whole context of it. In verse 25, we looked at how God is no respecter of persons. He's just not. He grants faith and repentance to whomever he's pleased. To whomever he's pleased. Also, in that great day of judgment, it won't matter if one was rich or poor, as God is no respecter of persons, and those who do wrong will receive for the wrong that which they've done. And they hear these words, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those who have received mercy from God, though, which is God's people, his elect, those who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, 
those who serve the Christ of God out of a willing heart, right? We willingly serve our Lord and King, doing the things that they do for His glory. We'll hear these words. We'll hear these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Wonderful words. Melodious words. And scripture declares that there is no respect to persons with God. So again, it doesn't matter who the person is, rich or poor, illiterate, Jew, Greek, mighty, weak, noble, unknown. If we are God's chosen, blood-bought children, we will enter into the joy of the Lord. We will, if we're his elect. If we are serving the Lord Christ for his glory, for his honor, we will get a well done from the lips of our king. And we, we serve our Lord in Christ. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and we're to give him all the glory for everything. All the honor and all the praise. And, and from the lips of the king, as we, are, we will get a well done as we're ushered into his eternal presence forever. Forever. Again, it doesn't matter. Think of this on the flip side of that. It doesn't matter who the person is. Rich, poor, educated, illiterate, Jew, Greek, mighty, weak, noble, unknown. If their faith is not in Christ... If they're not serving him for his glory, they'll spend eternity in hell. That's sobering. And the words in Matthew 17, 7, 23 will be directed to each one of them personally from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, which says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And as the scriptures proclaim, again, there's no respect to persons with Jehovah God. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the the, the standing that a person has. Now, in this world, as we looked at last week, in this world, judges can be swayed by people who have money. This judge is not going to be swayed by anyone. By anyone. And the only reason we receive mercy is because we're in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these are sobering, sobering words to ponder when we think, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Sobering words. Sobering words. As we think of the mercy of God, which we believers have received, knowing that it is only God who has made us to differ from those who hear those words in Matthew 7. That's the only difference. Is God's mercy to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Look at this. And I know we've read this before, but this verse is so fitting for right now. As we think of this God's distinguishing grace. But ye, and Peter's writing to God's elect, to his people. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were in darkness, weren't we? We're born into this world dead in trespasses and sins, just like everyone else, in utter darkness to the things of God, to things, anything spiritual. We have no clue that we're one of God's elect when we come into this world. As a matter of fact, we're shaking our fist along with everyone else at God. But God's people, God's people have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The light of Christ. 
And then look what it says, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but what? But now have obtained mercy. And that's to every one of God's blood-bought children. Every, everyone whom Christ shed his precious blood for, they have obtained mercy. Mercy. Before conversion, there was mercy in God's heart towards his elect, right? Because he's loved us with an everlasting love, right? So there's mercy in God's heart towards his elect, to his elect, and there's everlasting mercy also in the covenant of grace, which was shown in the provision of his son as our Savior, dying as our substitute in our room and place. And this love is manifested to the elect of God when we are born again. When we're born again. When God gives us hearing ears to hear the gospel. Born again, and, and don't forget too, we're born again according to his abundant mercy. Beloved. It's mercy. It's abundant mercy. I love what Peter and Paul both, both penned. We've obtained mercy. We've obtained mercy. Abundant mercy. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God and it's an evident display of God's mercy towards his people. In an application of his pardoning grace and mercy through the blood of his Son unto them. For those whom Christ died for on Calvary's cross. And God's people are called by the predestinating love of God the Father in his purpose, choice, and will. And particularly chosen to a union with Christ. Think of this, beloved, and just let this sink into your heart. Before the foundations of the world, you were chosen to have a union with Christ, to be his body. Before an angel ever flew in the sky, before there was ever heavens in the earth, God chose his people in Christ. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And, and we know because that he did that, that there's nothing in us that would cause us to, to, for him to choose us. So that lie that people say that God looked down through time and saw those who choose him, that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. No. God looked down and saw us all lost and dead in trespasses and sins and said, Sister, Nancy, you're mine. Ruth, you're mine. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. It's grace. It's mercy. It's mercy. Mercy, absolute mercy. We're, we're chosen to a particular, particularly chosen to a union with Christ. And we are specifically the objects of the regenerating grace of God, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who does a work in us. In us. My. And God's people are called from the darkness of the Adam's nature of sin. When, when Adam fell, we fell with him. He's our federal head. And we're bought into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ by a miracle of grace. By a miracle of grace, beloved. My goodness. And think of this. The scripture declares there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says, which in times past were not a people. Think of that in light of our, our unregeneracy before we were saved. We were enemies with God in our minds. Now, he knew us, but in our minds, 
we were all altogether unconscious of God's electing love, of God's electing grace. We had no clue. We had no clue that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We had no idea. So when our minds were not a people, we were enemies with God, although we were His sheep from eternity. And look, but now, but are now the people of God, all through God's abundant mercy and grace, by His regenerating power. Those who were chosen in the Father are regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, redeemed. They were redeemed by Christ at Calvary's cross. Oh, we were ruined. We were redeemed, and we're regenerated. My goodness, and it's all the work of God, beloved. It's all His work. So therefore, in that sense, in the sense where we were unconscious of God's electing love, of, of God the Father, in that sense it might be truly said to be far off. We had no head. We didn't know Christ was our head. We had no idea. We're not formed into a people. But now by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, being born again by the Holy Spirit, being shed uh, upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, we're bought nigh. We're bought nigh blood, by the blood of Christ, by the precious blood of Christ. And we're made heirs. We're made heirs. And we have a hope of eternal life. And it has nothing to do with us. I was thinking about this today. We're just simply recipients. We receive the gift of grace and salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, religion tells you you've got to do something. Grace says it's already done. And that the work is all God's work. It's all his work. He's done it. Christ has done it all for his people. Oh, we have the hope of eternal life. And the believer says, glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4 tonight, keeping that in mind. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal knowing that you have also have a master in heaven. The apostle, having exhorted servants to proper discharge as their duties in verse 23, right? Take a look at verse 23. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as man pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Proceeds to instruct those who would hire and work servants, masters in our text. And they are exhorted to treat their servants in a just and equal manner. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The master is to treat the servants with respect, encouraging them in their work and giving them fair wages. Now, this is speaking of a, of a Christian master. That's... that's Let's make this specific because even the servants, it's speaking to those who are, Paul's writing to those in the church who are servants and those who are in the church who are masters. And one of the commentators brought out that Philemon um, was one of the ones who was a master. So, Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved 
partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So again, the master is to treat the servants with respect and, and the servant is to give, give due honor to, the, to the, uh, the master. Now we could put this into an employee, an employer, because um, um, we don't have slavery right now and, our, and praise God we don't. And um, so it's the same thing when we go to work and we are to give 100% or more and give honor to those we work under. Or if, if you're a master, you're to treat the servants just and equal. Just and equal. And again, let us remember that during the time of this writing, slavery was very common. But look in verse 11 of chapter 3. Look at this. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now in the Christian church, there's neither bond nor free. And this is revolutionary during that time. Because the, the master was always looked at as, as over and better. The servants were basically nothing. So this is, this is revolutionary in thought. What's occurring here in verse 11, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. One commentator said, thus provides and opens a spiritual asylum within which is e equality of the highest kind was enjoyed and master and slave were not in such a relationship recognized. As they, so now, in Christ, they're equals. They're equals. But the servant still had to serve the master. And the master is still over the servant. But in Christ, they're equal. Now, God... God chooses some to lead in the church, and he does. But we're all equal in Christ, you see? It's the same thing. He's, the master has been given a place of authority, but, he's, but in, Christ, in Christ, we're all one, beloved. We're all one. And the leader's to lead. But I like what Brother Norm says. He says, I lead in the midst of God's people. In the midst, right beside So both master and slave were alike the free servants of a common Lord in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. And that's what Paul's bringing forth here, is that in Christ, you both have one master. Whether you're the master or the slave, you have one master who you serve. And they're to do everything for the glory of God. Christianity gave freedom in slavery. Again, and this is one of the special distinctions at the time of the writing of this book. This was unheard of. This thought was unheard of during that time. As I said, slaves were nothing, but, but just people just used them for whatever they wanted to. So here's Paul writing and saying, okay, to the slave, you need to obey your master, and to the master, you need to obey, or you need to, to treat, your, treat your slave with justly and equally. And then he, he pens in verse 11, right, that they're all one in Christ. That's unheard of during that time, beloved. My. 
Now notice the motive behind giving God all the glory. Notice the motive for the master and the slave. Look at this. Knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Knowing. Knowing. They know that they also have a master in heaven. Paul again brings... What, what's Paul doing here? Like we've seen all through this epistle, right? He's bringing Christ to the forefront. He's bringing Christ to the forefront. This is, this is what's most important, is Christ and Him alone. Let us remember, beloved, that we have a master. We have a master in heaven. And He's almighty. He's just. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. And He's all-powerful. Now, in the Greek word, master, it can be used generally as the possessor Possessor, owner, and master of property. It's also used of a supreme sovereign. A supreme sovereign. A Roman emperor. It's also an honorary title of address specifically to superiors. It's spoken of God and Christ also. God and Christ. He's the Lord God Almighty, our great King. And the word Lord, in Revelation 4.8, is the same Greek word for Master. It means all-powerful. All-powerful, beloved. Might, power, Master, owner. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Same Greek word. It's spoken of our Lord Jesus Christ in reference to his abode on earth as a master and a teacher. He is the supreme Lord over all. And he's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the one who has supreme power whether people believe it or not. And if you're saved, that's your Lord. That's your Savior. And that's sweet to God's people because we know, said it many times, if it was up to us, we'd lose our salvation a thousand times a day. But the believer's salvation is in Christ. And if Christ has us, we have a firm foundation. We have a nail in the sure place, the scripture says. And it's Christ and him alone. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. So Paul in our text reminds the masters that you don't... Think of this too. Paul in our text, when he, when he says, knowing that you all have a master in heaven, he reminds the masters that they don't have a mortal master. But they have a heavenly one who will not allow them to abuse the authority which he has given them. Which he has given them. The apostle reminds the masters 
that they are also subjects of the Master on high, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he says, knowing that ye also have a Master in heaven. And beloved, if you're one of God's blood-bought saints, you have a Master in heaven. A Master in heaven. And we're subjects to our Master. We're his subjects. Look at Matthew 23, verses 8 to 11. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, same Greek word, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for, there is, for, for one is your master, same Greek word, even Christ. And we know. Then look what it says. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So God's people are servants of Christ. He's our master. And think of this. Our master is our redeemer. Our master is our savior. Our master is the one in whom we're justified. Our master is the one who, whose righteousness we're clothed in. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our master. And we willingly serve him, don't we? There was a time when, when we looked at in First Peter when we didn't know him and we didn't serve him. But now we, we love him. And it's only God, again, who's made us to differ. It's only God and him alone. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Here's a parallel passage to, uh, to what we've been looking at so far in the Verses 18 to uh, 25, parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And notice Paul does, does this in Ephesians chapter 6 exactly what he does in Colossians, pointing the believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Paul, think of this too, because what, where do we get in trouble? when we start to look at circumstances, right? That's, that's where I'm at. I don't know if you're all the same, but for me, if I start to look at circumstances, and get my eyes off the Lord, then I'm, then I'm, then I'm in a heap of trouble. Right? So what Paul's doing, he, he takes their eyes off the circumstances that they're in. Think of it. The guy's a servant, or the, or the lady's a servant who's born again. He takes their eyes off the circumstances and points them right to Christ. Right to Christ. Look at this in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the, the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart, as unto Christ. There's that music. Ting, right? Getting their, getting their hearts and minds set upon Christ. Not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. There it is again. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. See, see how he's constantly bringing the Lord to the forefront, constantly before their eyes, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing. Remember our, our text in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, giving your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Look at this in verse 9. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in, is in heaven, 
neither is the respect of persons with him. So there's a parallel passage to what we've been looking at in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, Paul continuously takes their eyes off circumstances and points them right to Christ. Right to Christ. In Christ alone. Let's go back to our text in Colossians chapter 4. And I want you to just keep your finger near the, the, the well, it, you're probably on the same page, I hope, hopefully anyways, of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. But let's look at 4.1 first. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Now, now remember the situation. False teachers have come in and they're, they're causing all kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble. So Paul, again, does what he does in all his epistles, brings them right to Christ. Brings them right to Christ. Look at Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. And think of this. I read this today and I thought this was marvelous. Paul does not attempt to resolve the issues brought up in verse 318 in a horizontal, 318 to 4.1 in a horizontal way, which would be each person dealing with each other, right? Paul doesn't do that in a horizontal way, meaning slave to master or master to slave, but he resolves them in a vertical way. <laughs> Looking right to Christ. Looking right to Christ. And it's the theme of how he started this chapter. Look at verses 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So Paul's just continuing what he started. He, and, he, and we know from studying this epistle, he's been pointing us to the supremacy and all-sufficiency of Christ all through the whole epistle. And if you read his epistles with that in mind, that that's what he does, even in 1 Corinthians, before he corrects the Corinthians, he, he chimes Christ all through the first chapter. It's beautiful. Setting the tone, setting their minds upon Christ before any correction needs to be done. It's marvelous how the Holy Spirit had him pen it, pen it that way. So Paul's main concern for the Colossians is their, relation, Colossians is, their, is their relationship with God, which will, lead, which will lead to the believer in Christ loving the brethren and serving God where they are. So let us consider this, as one grace preacher mentioned. You can be sure that when our attitudes and words create strife, confusion, and division, it is not the wisdom of God where wise men and women worship. And... The, and and those are, those are men and women who've been made wise in Christ. Because where, where those who have been made wise to the things of Christ, there's love, peace, and unity. Love, peace, and unity. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. And we do. We love God's people. Galatians 5.13 says this, Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. It'll just flow naturally. It'll just flow naturally. If someone's causing strife and division, that's not of the Lord. That's not of the Lord. 
And then scripture declares this, above all things put on charity, which we know as love, which is the bond of perfectness. The bond of perfectness. We are to put on the new man, put on Christ. And when we put on Christ, we put on love. For he is love. He is love. When the love of Christ radiates from us, it is his glorious light, beloved, that is shining for the glory of God, our Father. We are to look to Christ. We are to set our heart and our mind upon him and him alone. So from this section, from verses 18 to 318 to, to Colossians 4.1, we have been dealing with the things that accompany salvation, things that are referred to as practical godliness. And I've mentioned this in a few lessons in the past, but it's worth repeating that if we teach practical godliness without preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will only produce self-righteous Pharisees. The gospel must be preached. Must be preached. It humbles the pride of man. It brings us low. It helps us to set our minds upon Christ, we who believe. And we need to hear the gospel again and again and again. Most false religions teach moral living. And there's nothing wrong with moral living, but they teach moral living is the way you get to heaven. Well, the majority of those involved in false religions give an outward appearance of godliness. Boy, you talk to them and you think, these are the most holy people in the world. I can't even compete with them. And we can't, can we? Right? Because we're sinners. And we admit it. You tell someone in religion you're a sinner, they look at you so strange. Trust me, I know. I've talked to a few of them across. And they, they, they look, What? Oh, I'm a saved sinner. Yeah, I'm a saved sinner. My. And then they point out the faults of everyone who's not doing their little checklist. It's ridiculous, beloved. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And Paul gave us a warning about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 1 to 9. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now we've been in the last days since Christ rose up to heaven, beloved. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce despisers of, of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lust. Ever learning, ever learning, look at this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, they, they can... They can they can give you Bible verses. They don't really know what they say, some of them. And, and, and when you confront them with a scripture about election or something, they just recoil so fast it's not funny. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. 
men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Let us think of this. Jewish scribes and Pharisees were devout religious men, weren't they? They were devout religious men. They were the religious who's who of the day. But our Lord says unto them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchres, which appear beautiful outward. Oh, they, 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 they got all their, their, their T's crossed and their I's dotted. And they'll tell you what they do. You get around religious people, they'll tell you what they do. Oh, they, they're brag. They're, they're, they're just let it all out. Trust me, I was one of them. It's sad. but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are, are ye, ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Beloved, let we who are the Lord's children, let us seek to glorify our great God and King. Let us seek to glorify Him. In times of joy, in times of sorrow, in times of health, in times of sickness, let us never forget our great God's love towards us. And let us never forget it never changes. It never changes. Now we, we ebb and flow with circumstances, don't we? But God's love is constant to his people because it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. It never changes. It, it, it never changes. And his love towards his people was manifest in the fact that God sent his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His love for his people was manifest. Think of that. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ from the glories of heaven, God the Son, to come down on this earth knowing that he was the sacrifice for the sins of his people. And God the Son willingly came down. God incarnate in the flesh willingly came down. And as we looked on Sunday, set his face like a flint to Jerusalem, like steel unbending. To die as our substitute and to bear our sins upon the cross at Calvary. What a Savior. What a Master. In Galatians 3.17 says this, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And when we think about that sacrifice, it makes it easy for us to glorify God, doesn't it? And then look at verse 23 in, our, in chapter 3. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. The difference between true followers of Christ and religious hypocrites is this. The desire of every blood-bought saint of God is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do. 
in all that we do. We are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. And we cannot become more righteous than we already are. Let that sink in. My goodness. If we have Jesus Christ, then He is our all in all. He's everything. And we can't possibly earn rewards, as folks say, because Christ is our reward. He's our reward. As He is, so are we in this world. And you know we have a full inheritance waiting for us. A full inheritance. That's undefiled. It'll never fade away. Reserved for you in heaven. Because it's in Christ and Him alone. We can't gain any more than what we already have by our obedience. But we can bring glory to, the, to our Heavenly Father, can't we? By drawing attention to His Son, by pointing people to Christ and Him alone. And by doing the things that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior, our Redeemer. And with the glory of God in mind, think of this, with the glory of God in mind, wives are to submit themselves to their own husbands as unto the Lord. With the glory of God in mind, Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. With the glory of God in mind, children are to obey their parents in the Lord for that is the right thing to do. With the glory of God in mind, servants are to obey their masters as the servants of Christ. With the glory of God in mind, masters are to treat their servants well knowing that we have a master in heaven. We all have one master in heaven. And with the glory of God in mind, we are to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And whatever we do, beloved, we are to do it heartily unto the Lord. Heartily unto the Lord. And not unto men. Knowing what Christ has done for us. What he's done for us. Heavenly Father, we come before thy throne with grateful and thankful hearts for your goodness and mercy and grace towards us. Oh, each day your mercies are new every morning to us. And we thank thee, Lord Jesus. We who are blood-bought, redeemed saints, we thank thee for your goodness and mercy, which is bestowed upon us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray that we leave this place rejoicing in the marvelous salvation we have in thee. And we pray that you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.